this morning we are back in Matthew chapter 28. It's really for a part two. Last week we were in Matthew 28. We are returning here again into the Great Commission. It's a very familiar text. You've uh, usually heard it preached as a missional or evangelism message, which it certainly is and should and will continue to be preached that way. But I've been spending my time in this passage talking about uh, what we learn about discipleship in this text. And so last week we had, we had approached it from the side of uh, teaching them everything and to obey everything. So it's on the teaching side and the learning side. And today we're going to touch on a couple of the other key aspects of discipleship in this text. So Matthew 28, verses 16 through uh, 18 through 20. Hear the word of God. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come again today to sit at your feet and to hear these words. Oh, there is much you would teach us. There is much that you would do. There are so many ways, Father, that you would lift our hearts and claim them as your own. So many ways that you would call us into discipleship and what it means to follow you, to serve you and to obey you, to know you and to love you and to walk with you. So as we spend some time in these words this morning, it is your voice that we long to hear. Father, speak into our lives and call us to conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. We talked last time about how Jesus begins this little dialogue. You'll see that he's, we've gone through the whole drama of his passion and his death and his resurrection. And here we stand at the end of the book of Matthew with the last words of Jesus in this book to his church. And he stands there and as he gives them marching orders to go and make disciples, he first makes a statement about himself and his resurrected power and glory. And he says, all authority... All, it's a different word, exousia. It's a word that means authority, but also the power that comes with that authority. But it means rightful authority, like royal authority, or the authority that comes with a position. And so Jesus says, all of this rightful authority in heaven, that is God's authority. Right? Who reigns over heaven? Whose abode is heaven? Who is the maker of heaven? When Jesus says, all authority that is in heaven and on the earth is mine given to King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of the universe, to this one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who is God himself. In Ephesians 1, we looked at it last week, it's here in your bulletin, it says God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule. He's in the heavenly places, the abode of God at the right hand above all authority, all rule, all power, all dominion. Every name that is named, and not only now, not only for a little while, not only in this age, but in the age to come, this reign of Christ is an eternal reign. It will not end. The throne he has taken, he will keep forever and ever. So Jesus reigns. He is the rightful king of the universe, and it is this king, the rightful king, who commissions us. It is this king who says, go, make disciples. Don't be afraid. You're ambassadors under my authority, and it's all mine. So you can go. 
You can go without fear. You can go with confidence. Because before we even contemplate obedience to that command to go, we need to take that time to contemplate the authority of the king who sends. To see Jesus high and lifted up. The fact of his absolute sovereignty in his reign leads us to a confident discipleship. A confident following, a confident going. Because the one we serve has all authority and all power. And we were saying last week then, is this one sends us and he says to go. He tells us what we're doing and he talks about discipleship. And that's where we started last time because he says to go and to make disciples. And this is what you do when you make disciples. This is how you make a disciple. right? Go and make disciples of these people. This is how you do it. He says, teach them. To obey, to obey, to keep, to observe everything that I have taught you. So all the teaching of Jesus. This is a disciple, one who first learns those things. Because if you're on the other end of this, the other end of the apostles on the receiving end, what are you receiving as a new disciple is you're being taught everything that Jesus taught them. You're being taught what it is to keep and observe all the words and the teaching and the commands of Christ. That's a disciple. And so I said last time, as we're talking about, if that's how we make disciples, is to teach them to keep and to obey all that that Jesus has taught to conform to Christ and his teaching, then we, if we want to make disciples like this, we have to be disciples like this. And so that's where I've been driving last week and this week about being disciples like this, who have been taught everything and are obeying and observing and keeping all of Jesus' words and conforming to them. And so if we're called to make disciples by passing everything that Jesus taught us on and what it means to follow him, then our discipleship begins with learning everything Jesus taught. And this responsibility to pass everything that Jesus taught on begins with our children. Making disciples of, of the nations, we start in Jerusalem and Judea and we move out to the ends of the earth. We, we start with our own children, certainly teaching them everything that Jesus has taught and what it means to observe and to keep it. But we cannot pass on what we don't have. We cannot take them somewhere we have not gone ourselves. We say, follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's how we make disciples. We become those followers first. And then we invite people to follow, and we teach them everything. And I want to camp in this passage this morning and come and do the other side. That's a summary of what we did last week in the learning everything that Jesus has to teach us and why it is such a, the, the, the educational process in the life of a church is really important, that what we do in Sunday school and what we do in our small groups and what we do in the preaching of God's Word is really important. It's at the core of what Jesus says is how we make disciples, People who know his word, love his word, and conform to his word, and observe and obey his word. And so that process of learning it all. I want to camp here and fill out the picture of discipleship, because discipleship is not just a bare learning, is it? It's not just learning a bunch of information. Because you can sit in Sunday school until you're you're in your 90s and absorb a ton of information, but that isn't discipleship. It's the first step in discipleship. It's part of discipleship, but it's, it's not the point. Learning is something we are called to do, as he says, to teach them everything, so learn everything. It's a, but the point is this. What does Jesus say there in verse 20? Teaching them to observe all that 
I have commanded you. Right? Teaching them the Christian life, the, the life of discipleship, is nothing more and nothing less than a life that is conformed to the teaching of Christ. A life conformed to Christ because he was everything he taught and everything he called us to do and everything he calls us to be, the image of God in Christ, and we're being renewed in that image. So discipleship is learning everything that Jesus taught and being conformed to what we're learning. That next part is the key, isn't it? It's that, that, that the life is being conformed to what we're learning about who Christ is and what he has done. Teaching them, he says, to observe everything. The NIV translate that word observe. It's an interesting pick there, to observe everything. What does it mean to teach them to observe everything? Like to like notice it? Like what do we mean when we observe something? What he means here, that word is, it's an interesting word. The NIV goes ahead and translate it, it translates it as obey. Teach them to obey everything. And the NIV is getting at it because the idea of obey is in there. When it says to observe everything that I've taught, the idea is in there to obey it, but it's more than that. The word that is used here is not the usual word for obey. There's a Greek word that means hupakuo for those who are interested in such things. There's a word that means to come under and to obey. And he doesn't use that word. He uses a different word, a word terao, which means more directly to guard something, to keep something, to preserve something, to, and in that sense, obey it. It's part of it, to protect it. It includes obedience, but it's more this idea of observing it or keeping it or guarding it. Teach them to keep, to guard, and to obey everything I've commanded you. Second Timothy, Paul claims that he has done what Jesus commands us to do right here. Paul, when he reaches the end of his life as a disciple, as an apostle, first of the disciples, but a disciple of Christ. And Paul reaches the end of his life there in the second point in your bulletin. Paul does say this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept or observed or terao, the same word here. I have kept the faith. Right? I fought the fight. I finished that race. And I have kept the faith. In other words, I did what Jesus is commanding here in Matthew 28 to keep and observe all that Jesus has commanded. And Paul reaches the end of his life and he says, I've kept it. So I want to use Paul here a little bit because he fills out, I like the way he fills out with the idea of fighting the good fight and finishing the race as part of this idea of keeping the faith as Jesus means for us to keep it. As Paul understood keeping it. Jude chapter 1, verse 3, there in your bulletin, Paul, uh, Jude says, Contend for the faith that was once contended. Ah, contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. Right? So there's contending for the, the faith. That's what Paul says, I've kept the faith. Right? The faith is everything that Jesus taught us and commanded us. It's the content. It's the, it's the summary of what we believe. It's the summary of the scripture. It's the summary of the gospel. The faith that was once delivered and entrusted to the church. Christ entrusted it to his apostles and he told them, every disciple you make, transfer it, teach them everything that I have taught you. And so we're to contend for this faith that was once for all delivered. The end of his discipleship, Paul says, I've done it. I've kept the faith. How does Paul do it? He fights for it. And he finishes the race 
of faith. He, he, he perseveres in the faith. He believes to the end. And he keeps it and guards it not only as a deposit, but as something that he has followed himself. To keep the faith means to per- persevere in it. It means to never stop believing. So when Jesus says, teach them to observe and to keep the faith of everything that I've taught, means to keep them believing in it. Keep them walking it so they believe until the till the end, till they finish their race. See, it's easy to start believing. It's another thing to finish believing. There are a lot of people in this world since Jesus gave us the gospel and taught us these things who said yes, and then a short while no, they're nowhere to be seen. Starting in faith is one thing, but to keep the faith and to observe it, to finish the race and to keep the faith until the day when he comes and we hear well done, good and faithful servant, is to maintain our love for Christ, to maintain our trust in Christ as King and Savior, to nurture and to live in it all of our days. Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the soils. He describes people who say yes to Christ, who trust in Christ. He gives four soils. He says, one, there's no response at all. And three more, there's a response. There's an initial response. But then he says, there's only one good soil at the end. One good soil where the word, the seed of the word of God takes root and grows and bears fruit. And the good soil, and he says there are two other soils. There's rocky ground and thorny ground. And he says there's a response. Somebody starts, you know, they they receive it with joy, he says. There's kind of this start thing that goes on. But in the rocky soil where persecution and suffering enter in, and when life gets hard, there's a cost involved in it, and the faith proves false. There's no real root. It says the root, it withers because it has no root that goes down. It shrivels, and it proves to be a false faith. The same happens with the thorny soil. He describes another one where it says they receive it with joy and things begin. And then he says, but the pleasures of this world and the caring about the stuff of this world begin to choke it. And he says once again that it's choked out. It has no life. It has no endurance. It does not. They don't keep the faith. And the the pleasures of the suffering of this world show their faith to be false. But in that heart where the seed of God's word remains, it thrives and it bears fruit, right? Teach the disciples to keep and to observe everything I've taught so that they might finish the race in keeping the faith for a lifetime of following Christ. Keeping it also means to guard it, not only to persevere in it and to keep believing, but it means to guard the faith that was entrusted to us. When Jesus says to teach them to observe it, you know, in this, this generation, Paul teaches it and the apostles teach it to a generation. Paul tells in, in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, Timothy, pass on to faithful men that which has been entrusted to you. Right? So you got four generations. It was entrusted to Paul. So there's Jesus who entrusted it to Paul. Paul entrusted it to Timothy. Timothy entrusted it to faithful men. And faithful men are to entrust it to others. Right? There is this generational passing on. But it that deposit has to be guarded, right? It has to be kept, preserved, faithful, so that we can pass it on. As Jude said a minute ago in that Jude 1.3, he says, contend, fight for, to preserve the faith that was once entrusted. Because it was entrusted to the church from Jesus to the apostles and immediately came under fire. 
immediately, even before the apostles' generation passed away, so much of the New Testament talked about watching out for false teaching, watching out for false teachers, watching out for those with bad motives, watching out for those who are involved, who are twisting God's word to their own ends. You know, immediately it comes under attack. And so to teach them to observe and to keep and to guard God's word, Jesus' words to the apostles is to protect them and preserve them true. To get it right. To keep it right. So we can speak God's word into a world that is lost and desperately needs God's word. 2 Timothy 4.3 there in the Bible, or in your, your outline under the second point. Coming from the scripture, Paul writes and he says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Does that sound familiar? Is such a time? That time has come and continues to come and has not gone. The time has come when people will not endure sound teaching. They will not endure the faith once for all delivered to God's people. They won't endure the words of Christ which challenge and call us to humility and to brokenness and to repentance. What do they want to hear? They have itching ears so they can accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It will tell them what they want to hear. There are many churches today that are built on this, full of people because they're being taught what they want to hear rather than the faithful words of Christ, rather than the faithful words of God once delivered to his people to observe and to protect and to pass on. Instead of trusting the scriptures, they suit their own passions. They follow the wind of the culture. The culture says, now this, now this, now this. And the church says, okay, okay, okay. And we just go as the culture slides, the church slides, as the morals slide, the, the church goes with it as, as, the, as their view of things. But the church is meant to stay to preserve and to observe and to keep and to guard that faith which is delivered. But to do that, we must learn it. One of the reasons we're losing this battle is that we don't know the word. Our children don't know the word. Those who are following the way of the world and and the most popular things that are being said out there that are now the right and good and moral thing to do, and the ones who are following are often our young people between 18 and 30. In that window there that do not have a grounding, they cannot look to the scripture and say, here's what the word of God says. We have not delivered to them as disciples of the church all that Jesus taught. The way that we need to to instruct and to ground the generations that come. But to do that, my friends, we must be grounded. We must, as we said last time, hunger and thirst for righteousness. We must as the, the, uh, the, the proverb says, be those who seek after it and cry out after it and desire it more than silver or gold, this truth, this wisdom, so that we can give it to our children. They won't begin to be those who take what their itching ears want to hear. That sounds good. I like that. That's more comfortable to me. Many things that God's word calls us to are not comfortable. And so to keep it is, and observe it is to persevere in in it to the end is to guard it so that we can pass it on but finally my friends and here is at the heart of what Jesus is saying it is that we obey it ourselves that we obey it and it is interesting it's so strongly there go and teach them to obey all that I have commanded and so even the teaching them all that I have commanded is secondary to the 
purpose of teaching it, which is that they'll obey it, that they will observe it, that they will keep it with their own lives, that their own lives would conform to it. Jesus is calling for obedience. I know it because he says it everywhere else through his teaching. We cannot guard and teach something that we do not obey ourselves. See, if we guard and protect the teaching of the scripture but do not obey it ourselves, you know what that's called? Hypocrisy. We're so concerned to guard the truth of the faith once delivered, but we ourselves aren't living it. We ourselves aren't conforming our own lives and our own decisions and our own priorities to it. If we are teaching one thing but living another thing, it's called hypocrisy, and Jesus despises hypocrisy. In John 14, 15, is there in your bulletin under that second point, he says, if you love me, that is if you're my disciple, if you have decided to follow me, if you've bowed the knee, if you love me as your Savior and your Lord, if you acknowledge who I am and love me as your King, if you love me, he says, you will keep. There's the word again, terao, right? There's that word, you will keep. You will observe and protect and obey, right? You will keep my commandments. In other words, to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. There's not an in-between there. And Jesus says it three times in John 14 and 15, three times in three ways. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. The one who loves me, he's the one who keeps my commands. If you don't keep my commands, you, you are the one who doesn't love me. He says it again, and he says it again, and he says it again. To love Jesus is to obey him, to observe and to keep his word, to conform our whole lives to, to it. Romans 8, it's there in your bulletin, Romans 8, 29. It says, those he foreknew, he also predestined. In other words, his chosen people, his people. It says, those whom he foreknew, those whom he has gathered together, that's you, those he foreknew and predestined and gathered together as his people. He says, he predestined that they should be conformed to the image of Christ. That's his goal with you. That's his purpose with you. To not only learn everything that he taught, but that your whole life would be conformed to it and you would start looking like Christ. You would start looking like Jesus. You'd start sounding like him. You'd start talking like him. You'd start saying things that bring honor to him and draw others to him. The best way to persevere in our own faith the best way to guard that teaching and those commands is by embodying it in our own lives, right? We have to see that. To try to protect something that we're not embodying or living ourselves becomes a really strange endeavor, isn't it? To try to say the truth and to stick to the truth and to teach the truth while all the while we're living a lie. And, and so the best way to guard and protect it is to embody it, to live the words of Christ. To follow him means to, to learn it all and to keep it and to guard it and to stay in it and to embody it. There's always a great danger of letting religion become about knowledge and learning. Because it is about knowledge and learning. We get, I'm going to keep coming back there. It is about that, but it's not just that. Learning and knowledge is a means to an end. Information is for transformation. Right? We want to know his words so we can obey his words. We want to know who he is and what he is like so that we can be conformed to his image. We want to know the truth as it is in Christ and as he teaches us to understand the world and ourselves, sin, life, heaven, hell, and death, and all these things so that we can conform our minds to it. Information is for the transforming of our minds, which is the shaping and transforming of our lives. 
James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because we only then deceive ourselves. Remember that Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, talks about building your house on the rock and on the sand. Remember what he told you, who is it that builds on the rock? Jesus says, the one who hears my words. That's the first part, hearing, learning, right? You got to do that. You can't skip that part. But he who hears my word and puts them into practice, observes them, keeps them, and obeys them, he is like the man who built his house on the rock. And the solidity of the rock that makes the house to stand is the reality of that word being swallowed into the life and lived out. And then he says, but the man who hears my words, and they stay in his head, and the life doesn't change. The man who hears my words but doesn't practice them, doesn't keep them, is like a man building his house on the sand. He's collecting information. He's building something. There's no foundation. And when the storm comes, it says, We'll all fall to the ground. Jesus in Luke 6.46, it's there in your bulletin, asks this question. He's asking us this morning, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's a good question. The Lord wants to know. I would ask you to just take a minute to stop and listen to Jesus. Imagine Jesus because it's more than that, imagination, asking you, why would you want to call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's what it means to call me Lord. That's what it means to claim me as your king. That's what it means to say you're going to follow me. Christian discipleship is that every follower of Christ forms their life to his teaching, to who he is and what he has said. Disciple is someone who by definition does what Jesus says. So we need the king to speak to us this morning and let him ask you, are you keeping all the words of Jesus? You're learning them, are you keeping them, are you observing, are you obeying? Where, Where in your life have you held back? Where are you not obeying and you know it? Where are you not examining your life and making excuses for yourself? We love to do this. We could justify anything. We can make excuses as to why I'm not here in this place in my life, and and it's okay. My friends, these are searching words. This is what it means to follow Christ. And in some ways, he does want us to sober up. He did First Peter, right, the whole book three times. He says, have a sober mind, sober up. Think clearly about these things. Hear me. And don't deceive yourselves by hearing but not doing. I want to end my life with Paul saying, I have fought the good fight. I have, I have run and finished my race, and I have kept the faith. Not just out here in guarding it and passing it on, but in here as I have loved it and conformed my soul to it. I've kept it. Christian discipleship, my friends, if I haven't felt it right now in this sober moment, is impossible. You feel it yet? Did you finish with all of that and say, I got it? 
Let me out of here so I can go do it. Or some of you are hearing me say it and you're just like, oh, we're just heaping coals on my head. Right? I'm already discouraged by my failure. I'm already discouraged by my disobedience. I'm already feeling like I'm trying hard and I can't pull it off. I want to obey. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Friends, Jesus is speaking to you. He says these words to people like you. He he remembers our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And with this command of Jesus comes the promise of grace, isn't it? What does he end it with? And behold, even as I command you to go and be these disciples so you can make these disciples, he says, and here's the thing, I'm with you always. Even to the very end of the age. Right? He is with us. Grace comes to those who honestly hear those commands, sober up and say, I want to obey Christ in all things. And so there is an honest sense of, I want to do righteousness. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. I want to follow Christ. I want to be an obedient one. I want that to be the wholeness of my life. If that is you and you're failing at it, Jesus makes allowance for failure. He doesn't make allowance for those who don't follow. Does that make sense? In other words, the standard is always there. The call is always there. Follow me. Deny yourself every day and get up again and follow me. The standard is always the same. And as we are those who follow after Christ, we will struggle and we will stumble and we will fall and we will have difficult time of it. And we will, and you know, and it will grieve us. But the true disciple tries and grieves, tries and grieves. But he does it because Jesus is with him in two ways. He's with you as a perfect Savior, and he's with you as a perfect, powerful Savior. Right? He's a perfect Savior, and he's a powerful Savior. And he's a perfect Savior for people like you and me who, who struggle, who stumble, who fall. And then this is not an excuse then to sin and to fail, but it's the promise that he will cleanse and renew. That he, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins, right? If we live in this cycle, I've preached it before, this cycle of repentance, you know, following Christ isn't, a, isn't this rise to a perfect behavior and getting it all right and never stump. Nobody does that, ever, except Jesus. But what we do is we strive after Christ, and as we stumble and fall, we repent and we grieve over our sin, and he dusts us off, and we get up, and his mercies are new every morning, and we... We live to run again, to strive again, to pursue him again today, forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what is ahead as a new day with new mercy. I am clean in Christ and my failures of yesterday slough off in his blood. And I can run today. And tomorrow I get up again. His mercies are new and I run again. And I fight the good fight and I run the race and I'll finish because he is with me as a perfect savior. His blood cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And I can stand in him day after day right with God. Not because I am righteous, but because he is my righteousness. But that grace is for us who grieve over our sin and strive after Christ. And here's the thing, he's also powerful. He not only offers mercy and forgiveness, but he is present with us to enable and to empower us to grow. It's progressive. It may be slow. It's from glory to glory, day to day. 
three steps forward, two steps back, but three more steps forward, two more steps back, which gives me a positive of two, right? But I, I'm, I'm pressing in that direction. I am growing. I am, by his grace and his presence within, the next day as I strive, I make it another step further and another step further. And let me just tell you, sounds like a long road, but life is... You know, if you do that for a year and for five years and for 10 years and for 20 years, you grow and you mature and you become like Christ and you get set free. Paul says sin will not be your master, right? Have you ever believed that? You heard that in Romans 6? Paul says sin will not be your master. Christ is your king, a perfect savior, a perfect Lord whose yoke is easy and his burden is light because he is merciful and gracious and powerful and he's with us always. Even to the end. Isaiah 41.10, I'll close with these two. Fear not. Don't be dismayed. I know you're grieving over your failure. I know you're grieving over your inability to do all that he says. I know that you're struggling, he says, but fear not because I'm with you. Don't be dismayed because I'm your God. I have claimed you as my own. I have redeemed you. And I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand where Christ sits as your reigning king. 2 Timothy 4, he says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me. Everybody deserted me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me with his grace and with the power to stand and move forward. When the world deserts you, your Savior with you. He doesn't say I will be with you. He says I am with you. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come this morning to sit at your feet to hear your word. Oh, it is full of life and truth. And you call us to such a high calling. Oh, you have given us so much. But in all of the commands you have given, you have given us the greatest thing. Yourself. You've come to us as a savior. You've come to us as a king. You come with mercy and grace and forgiveness, but you come with power and authority. You come to redeem a people and to make us like yourself. Oh, would you help us to lift our eyes in faith, to trust in you, and to follow hard after you with our whole hearts, full of joy of our salvation. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.